First John chapter 3. That's way in the back. If you're looking in the Gospel of John, you're not in the right book. There's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all the way near the end. 1 John chapter 3. All right, today is uh, January 19th. Is that right? The 19th of January. Still working on those resolutions? Have you given up already? Three weeks in. Sometimes I know we we decide that uh, this year I'm getting in shape. And by now you're hurting. And you're thinking, well, maybe it wasn't uh, something I wanted to do after all. Uh, Maybe you've said, I'm going to read the book, uh, the entire Bible, this year. We're going to go past Leviticus, like we did last time, right? We're going to read the whole Bible. I, I like making those kind of goals and aiming for them. Uh, but one thing I'd like to do together here for the next uh, four months, Easter is in April this year, up until April, we're going to talk about Christian fitness. And that's not a Tuesday morning aerobic group. All right? Christian fitness. An intentional effort in spiritual exercise that a noticeable change is made in us. All right? An intentional effort in spiritual exercise that a noticeable change is made in us. Now, sometimes we make up for deficiencies in... in like in our diet, we might use vitamins to make up the difference. Sometimes we might get specific in those vitamins at times, uh, rather than just a multivitamin to kind of give it a hit on everything. We might aim for a particular vitamin if we're dealing with uh, an issue such as uh, uh, eye challenges, your, your sight and things of that nature. You might aim for certain vitamins, and I don't know which one particular they might assign, uh, but uh, maybe vitamin A or vitamin E or vitamin D, or uh, is it lutein? Is that how you pronounce that one, lutein? looks like protein, but it's L-U-T, lutein. Uh, specifically aiming at a thing, and, and it's probably easier than eating spinach or broccoli. Take a little pill. Sometimes we'll make up for deficiencies that way. Now, I'm going to to follow a similar concept, if you will, to address some deficiencies that, well, are they're typical of the believer. Maybe they're not the, the main thing you might have, but they are typical of believers, such as being like Christ, such as loving our brother, such as living the truth. Some of you may be masters at all of these already. And as we spend some time addressing it in the next handful of months, you may say, well, that's rather elementary. Uh, But the reminder is good. Now, for others, they may find them a lot more challenging to go through such topics as these. It would be like a good workout, in a sense. You go home and you find yourself sore after a morning sermon. Well... That's okay, too. It's kind of like uh, they say at the gym, no pain, no gain. 
you've heard that before. I, I had a friend who told me this. First time I've ever heard it, and I've heard it in several other places since. But he says, whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. I thought, okay. Whatever doesn't kill you will only makes you stronger. We're going through Christian fitness together. Three, I call it, three daily Christian essentials that we need to focus on. And, and my meaning of this is not merely weekly messages on these issues, but that you take them as a daily dose. Something that you think of throughout the week. Uh, I'm just going to prescribe them here. You have to take them home and do them. All right? So, what, what are those three things we're going to focus on? Like Christ, love brother, and live truth. Those three will be our focus. And they're all in First John chapter 3. So now you know where to set your bookmark for the next three months. First John chapter 3. For each of these topics, like the one we start today, like Christ, there's going to be four doses for you. All right? Four sermons from the first nine verses. Then when we're through with that, we're going to have Love Brother from verse 10 through 17. Four doses, four messages related to that. And then the last is Live Truth and four more messages coming from the verses 18 through verse number 24. It's going to be very good for us. And I hope, like my desire is, that at the end of these things we will see a noticeable change in us. Because we have gone through this exercise together. So today, dose number one, from verse number one of chapter three in First John, it's the foundation for being like Christ. The foundation. We need to start right there. And it says in our, our Bibles here, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Now, I doubt that I really have to convince you this morning that uh, the New Testament teaches us to be like Christ. That's something you should be convinced of at this point anyway. The, the Thessalonians were commended for it. When Paul was writing to them, a very young church, just a, a, probably a year or less old, they were known as Paul wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, you yourselves became imitators of, of us and of the Lord. Imitators. Mimics is the word. They copied the Lord. And it was already known by everyone. It was a visible thing that they were in character. They were copying the Lord. That's pretty commendable for a church that's a year young. And yet they had already learned that. The Philippians were encouraged in chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in you, which was also where? In Christ Jesus. So they were called to have the same attitude that Christ had. When Peter starts to exhort in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So that's our actions, right? Our character should be like Him. Our attitude should be like Him. Our actions should be like Him. Follow in His steps. And here in John, if you just 
flip back to chapter 2 for a moment, you'll see in verse number 6, where he says, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That's our duty. Ought. We ought to do this. It's our duty. So, I don't need to convince you in Scripture that we're to be like Christ. There's a a book that's challenging to me, and I've been uh, reading through it began here in January, written by Dwight Pentecost. It's an old book, about 1960-something or other. I knew it was old because I turned it over and the price tag was two ninety five. I said, hey, where do you find books like that? Except Enid Christian Bookstore, probably. But uh, here, I'm starting to read through this book, and, and uh, he, he's got the title, Designed to Be Like Him. I thought, ooh, are we really designed to be like him? What a great, captivating title that is. And as I'm going through it already, he's talking about our hearts are to be like his. Our minds are to be like his. Our will is to be like his. And that he just defines as fellowship. And I'm, I'm being challenged by it thoroughly. But the point is, that this is more than just an action, this is more than just an attitude, more than just uh, um, the character. We are to copy His image. We are to copy His image, who He is in every way. We are to be like Christ. As we're going to see just next week, chapter 3 of First John, verse number 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Right? Look forward to that day. We shall be like Him. God is confident of that. He knows that's going to happen. And I think that's very important for us to understand this as we start our study of like Christ. This is a thing the Lord is going to do. It is not a suggestion for you. As if you sit back and say, well, hey, that's a pretty good idea. I think I'll give it a try. This is not a suggestion in Scripture. It, it is, it is uh, not an option among 50 other things you could try. You can do this too. It's not an option among other great ideas. Rather, it's an expectation. Scripture will show us that as we go through it. And it will be a reality. It will be a reality. You, like Christ, is a reality. I'll show you what Scripture says about it. Keep your finger here, bookmark. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse number 29. You might want to keep something right here in Romans 8, because we'll be back here again in just a few moments. But in Romans 8, 29... Very important words. Look at them carefully. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What does that mean? Predestined. We say he's destined for that, or he's destined for this. That means you know it's coming, right? Predestined. That means it's been planned that it's coming. Right? God has predestined something about you. It says right here what it is. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. This is God's plan. Is He going to make it? 
He's never failed. Never will. He plans and he has decided that we will be conformed to the image of his son. Peter would add to that in 1 Peter 1, 4, 14 rather. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. Now take this word conformed. Just think it through with me for a minute. On one side, Peter says, don't be conformed to your former lust. On the other side, Paul says, we're going to be conformed to the image of his son. You are being conformed to something right now. Do you know that? You are being conformed, even now. God's will is for you to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, currently, you might be conforming to something else. Something like what Peter says, your former lust. Maybe you're conforming to the world. Maybe you and I are conforming in those ways. And we haven't paid attention to it. The idea of conforming, it's a, it's a compound word. And the, the first side of it is the word with in the Greek. And the second side is the word morph. You've heard that before, haven't you? The idea of a, of a morph is, is the idea of an adjustment of parts. Uh, you're being shaped. Your nature, your form, you're thoroughly being changed by something. Sometimes it takes a long time to get to where we are. But we are being conformed right now. So stop and think, what's conforming me? And what am I going to be like when it's over? Conformed to former lust, conformed to this world? Paul says in Romans 12, Do not be conformed... Do not be conformed to this world. That means we sit back and let it happen. It's a passive verb. We just sit there. It's going to happen if we don't uh, pay attention. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. All of a sudden he changed the word a little bit, didn't he? You know what that trans adds to the word? In, In the Greek it means to participate with it. If we're just passive about all this, the world's going to shape you. If you're transformed, you are actually participating in the act that God has designed. That's cooperation in His will. The renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. And His will is that you be conformed to His Son. It's good, isn't it? It's acceptable. It's perfect. That's God's plan. So, are we participating in what He's doing? Or are we sitting back and letting the world do its shaping of us? couple more verses to add to that. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's that word again. Transformed into the same image from glory to glory. He's at work. Paul writes again in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, That I may know him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed into His death. Here's the main point. You will be conformed into the image of Christ. As a believer, you will be. It's what God says. That's something, as believers, we will realize when we step into heaven. That first moment, we're going to say, Wow! And I think that's the right word, theologically. Wow! What happened to me? How did I become this? That's going to be stunning, isn't it? 
I hope not too stunning. I hope by then we've gotten a little closer to that image we're supposed to be. So there's not a whole lot of changing going on between here and there. But when we get there, we shall be like him, John says. We shall be like him. Well, that's the reality, but the gymnasium is here. This is where the work goes on. This is, this is where the Holy Spirit is active in us. And your level of participation determines how uncomfortable that transformation is going to be. There are those who will resist, they will fight, they will go, they'll go! The Spirit will change you! But you'll go kicking and screaming, I think. It's not going to be comfortable. I'd rather participate, wouldn't you? I'd rather be part of that and have my, my heart engaged and my mind engaged. I'd rather be a part of it that way. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. So, understand this. When we're talking about being like Christ, it is God's will, and God will have his way. Your participation is important, and that's what takes place down here on this earth. We are to be like Christ. I want to show you another verse that I think is just fascinating. It's in Luke, actually. Chapter number 6 and verse number 40. A real simple little verse, and, and it's right in the middle of a whole dialogue that I think we overlook it at times. But let's look at this word. Matter of fact, I'm going to suggest something. Write out this verse. Stick it on the refrigerator door. Bathroom mirror, wherever the first place is, you might see it in the morning. Look at this, these words. Luke 6.40 A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Alright? This is where we're at. The one who has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Fully trained. To be rendered fit, sound, complete... To mend that is which is broken, to repair, to complete, to fit it out and equip it in order that it's arranged and it's adjusted and it's prepared and it's strengthened and it's perfected and it's completed and it's made to be what it ought to be. That's that simple word trained. That means the Lord looks upon you and me and he says, okay, this has to be fixed, this has to be fixed, this has to be fixed, let's mend it, let's mold it, let's shape it, let's repair it, let's put it in its place, let's equip him, equip it, equip him, strengthen him up, strengthen him up, strengthen him up, there he is. That's the Lord's work in you. A pupil that's being trained, fully trained, to be like his teacher. Are you ready for the exercise? That's Christian fitness. That's what we're going to walk through here. Now, you may say, well, how is this possible? <laughs> I know who I am. How is it even possible that I might resemble Christ? Well, first thing is the foundation, and that's today. The foundation is important. See, he says in chapter 3, verse 1 of John, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us. Because it did not know him. Three principal parts to this verse. Real simple. We are loved by the Father. It's the first thing we noticed. 
We are loved by the Father. Second thing we notice is that we are called children of God. The third thing says, we ought to be noticed as different. So, first thing. (laughs) Kind of alarming, you ready? Behold, he starts with. Look. This is an easy word to describe for you. Because we have so many words for look. Look at it, you know. Uh, Glance at it, observe it, notice it, consider it, uh, uh, examine it maybe. Or perhaps when you were younger, when mom or dad came up to you, grabbed you by your chubby little cheeks, and moved your face right in front of theirs. You remember a day like that? And they're looking at you eyeball to eyeball, and they said, look. That's your word. You ready? Behold. It's a command. It's not something that we should take lightly here. It's not a careless glimpse. It's like the Spirit has just grabbed you by the face and said, look at this. And he wants you to see it. Behold. So, we're not going to miss this, are we? This is important information. He's about to tell you something that you have to understand. You are loved by the Father. Okay, I know that. No, you are loved by the Father. This is the point he makes first. You are loved by the Father. And to describe it's almost impossible. He says, what great love it is. What, what manner of love it is. What, what kind of love it is. Uh, the amplified version is a lot of fun. What an incredible quality of love. What kind of love is this? Well, we call it in the Greek circles agape love. You've heard of agape love before. It's a supreme love. It's an unconditional love. I like it. It's a sacrificial love. It's the kind that speaks well of uh, our Father in heaven. This is a very important fact as we start to understand things, is that we are loved by God in this manner. A sacrificial, supreme love He has for you and me. An unconditional love. Hear that word? Unconditional? He's not changing His mind. He loves you. Matter of fact, He's even got to say it stronger than that. And I'll show you what what I mean by that. But we try to figure out sometimes the love, and we say, how do you define this kind of love? It's, It's different. And that's exactly the word. It means, of what race is this? Of what tribe is this? Of, uh, where does this come from? Kind of love. Some even Greek scholars call it a foreign love because it's not what you're going to find from other people. It's all from Him. It's from out of this world. It's, it's from a realm way beyond us. So how do you describe it? This love He has for you? Beautiful song we've got our, in our hymn book. It says... Uh, As the writer says, if we fill the oceans with ink, and you cover the whole sky with a parchment to write upon, and you take every stalk on earth and turn it into a quill or a pen, and you take every person on earth and make them a scribe, and hand them that pen, and they dip in that ocean, and they start to write about the love of God on that scroll, one thing will happen first, you'll run out of ink. Second thing will happen, you'll never fill up the scroll. The love of God, how rich, how vast. 
It's, it's just an incredible concept to try to understand. But here's the point. As we're wrestling with understanding it, never wrestle with the question of, if it's yours. Because he's given it to you. Isn't that what the verse just said? Behold what manner of love the Father has what? Given. Given. That's perfect tense in the Greek. I, I play with my, uh, my Greek students every now and then, and I tell them, now, if I give you this definition, the writers of these Greek grammars are just going to flip their top. Because this is not the proper definition. All right? I made it up somewhat. All right? So I always warn them. Perfect tense is permanent tense. God uses it theologically. When he wants to describe of something that's been given to you and it stays yours. Something that's been done and it stays done. Something that's been given and it stays given. That's the word you're looking at right now. His love has been given to you. That's permanent tense. Okay? Permanent tense. He will not change his mind. He showed us this through scripture. Such as this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? This is the way he does it. Because... We wrestle with the word, and God says, well, you don't understand the word, so I'll show you an action. I give you my son. So John has to write about it. First thing out of his mouth in chapter 3, this love was given to us by the Father. He will never change his mind about that. I, 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 I'm trying to concrete that in your mind. He will never change his mind about his love for you. If you kept your bookmark in Romans 8, then you're, you have the advantage right now. Because the last couple of verses of this chapter says in verse 35, on through the end, some of my favorite verses you see in Scripture. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? With tribulation? The answer is what? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Pearl? No. Sword? No. He goes down to verse number 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. And if you're a created thing, you've just got... You just found yourself on this list. No created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ever. Got that? Never. You can't even do that. You say, but pastor, what if I sin? Oh, what if I sin? Wouldn't he look down at me and smash me? Because I love Romans 5.8. For God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Alright. I'm trying to encourage you here. What about God's love? Is it permanent? Yes, it is. He gave that to us. This is where we have this relationship in its foundation. Now, I want to move to a very important point. Now that you understand how, how permanent it is, you say, okay, so what's the point to this, being like Christ? How does 
the Father loves His Son. You ready for this? It's the exact same kind of love that He has for you. It's not a different love. It is the same love. He's consistent. How He loves His Son is how He loves you. Now, I'll show you what I mean by this. But this is what Jesus was trying to convince his disciples of. John 13. John 13, 14, 15. He's in the upper room. He's about to go in and be arrested and then be uh, crucified and die. And, you know, this is going to just work havoc in the minds of the disciples. And the whole thing is falling apart in their opinion. And Jesus wants to leave them these words. You are loved. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that you're loved. And he says it so often, and I'll give you pieces, but John 13. I didn't even turn there. I'm telling you to, but I didn't even go. All right. John 13. Look at these words. Verse. Uh, he starts right away with the disciples. He says uh, in verse number 12, 13. Do you know what I've done for you? He just washed their feet. You call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord, and the Master, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his Master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And he goes on to, to give them uh, pieces and bits and parts of the fact that they are loved, and this is a demonstration of it. By the time you get to chapter 15, these are the words that he, he concretes in their minds. Chapter 15, verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. You see it now? What kind of love the Father has for His Son? How do you define that? That's the same love He has for you. Same love. Abide in my love, He says in verse 9. In verse number 10, If you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. Here's the behold. Alright? Look at it carefully. Here's the behold. The Father loves the Son. And you may wonder, then why does he love me? Whose image are you being made into? The image of his son. And if he loves his son that much, guess what he thinks of you? You see it? This is foundational for understanding how we are to be like Christ. The Father loves you. That's why he's forming you into the image of his son. He loves His Son. And that's why He called us children of God. That's what John says. What manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of God? This is why being like Christ is essential to you and me. He is called the Son of God, and we are called the children of God, and it takes the character of the family and applies it to us. The character of that family, the divine family, is applied to us. Now, around these parts, you can say, hey, that person there, that looks like a Hulk summer. And you could 
see how they fit the family, or this person looks like a strict, and they fit the family, and they say that about my family for some reason. They say, hey, that one looks like a courtin'. Now, how would you like somebody say, hey, you look like God's son? Whew, what a nice thought that would be. Wouldn't you like to resemble him? So much so that people notice that about you? This is the reminder we need. We're being transformed as a daily thing into the image of Christ. Are we beholding it? Are we looking, looking, looking? This is because we're being shaped into the family. We are His children. We are His children. And it makes a change that the world is not going to recognize. I just want you to understand this. The world will not recognize this. In the sense that they don't know it. We ought to be noticed as different. Unknown by the world, yeah. I think that's some of the saddest words in Scripture, to tell the truth. Unknown. People who don't know. God said this once of his own people in Isaiah. He says, an ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people don't understand. John, in his early part of the gospel, said of Jesus, this is the true light which comes into the world, enlightening every man. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And he goes on to say, he came into his own, and those who were of his own did not receive him. Those are sad words, aren't they? Unknown. Unknown. Paul went into the city of Athens, and there's idols all over the place. They're worshiping gods. And one of them said, to the unknown God. Unknown! That's sad. But you know Jesus prayed about this concerning you and me, and all those that would follow him? John chapter 17, these are his words. Fascinating prayer here on behalf of future saints especially. He says in verse 14, John seventeen fourteen. I have given them your word. The world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. But to keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world. Even as I am not of this world. They do not know us. Because they did not know him. And if we're being shaped into his image. They're not going to know us either. Right? They won't recognize who we are. Now you may think, well, that doesn't sound so encouraging. (laughs) How many of us say, boy, I'd love to be hated? How many of us live to be unknown? That's not human desire. But I want to enlighten you on a simple little point here, and I think it's very encouraging. When the world starts to see that you are not like them, but you are like Christ, it ought to bring you great joy that they recognize the difference. Peter and the rest of the disciples were tried before the great religious people, and they came away so encouraged because the opponents recognized that these had been with Christ. Don't let it bother you if the world hates you because of it. Our foundation will never change. You see, the world may hate you, but you're loved by God, right? Is that going to change? No. 
regardless of what the world may throw at you or throw at me, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Behold it. Set your heart on that. It's a daily essential, folks. Every day we ought to wake up and realize we are children of God. We are children of God. He's working in us right now, transforming us, that we should be like Christ. Now, as I started here, I said this is an intentional effort in spiritual exercise that a noticeable change is made in us. It's not going to happen without our participation. Behold it. That's our first thing we do. First thing. Every day, wake up and realize who you are. God loves you. He's doing this work. And you should become different than the world. Okay? First thing. I was very glad when I, I saw the uh, first song we sang here this morning, I Am Thine, O Lord. No, I know what songs are coming and things. I wasn't paying much attention, but this song was on my heart for the last couple of days. And I thought, boy, I've got to think that song. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer. Nearer. Nearer, precious Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer. Is that your prayer? Draw me nearer. Nearer, blessed Lord to thy precious bleeding side. Heavenly Father, this is something we need. We need to be like Christ. And it's not a matter of measuring ourselves at this moment to see how far we are away, but to see how close you are to us. You love us. And that's the focus we have to have. You have proven this love. You have given this love. You will not change your mind about what you're doing in our lives. I just pray, Lord, that we're part of the, the uh, transformation in the way we cooperate with what you are doing. We shall be like Christ. I pray that you impress that upon our hearts and our minds and our wills today. And draw us close to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.